Father, in the glorious name of our Savior, our King, Jesus Christ, we come before your magnificent presence. We're looking to you, Lord, and we're leaning upon you for wisdom and revelation, for clarity, direction, instruction, and counsel. We are surrendering our hearts to you. We are standing in need of your presence as never before. Let your Holy Spirit just utilize any device uh, upon which this message is being viewed, whether it's a phone, a tablet, a desktop, or a TV. Let it become a point of contact. Let the anointing flow. Let the unction of the Holy Spirit be the difference that makes the difference in today's presentation. And this we have prayed in the magnificent name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the people of God said amen and amen. Well, you can see from uh, from the opening slide that uh, my subject today is the King of Hearts. I want to talk about the King of Hearts. And what we're going to do is introduce uh, a new series. Uh, the series is a stewardship series, a series on stewardship, in which we're going to reveal or unpack and explore the authority and the responsibility that God has given to every believer. Yes, that's right. God has given you authority and God has given you responsibility. And we want to explore and unpack the authority and responsibility that God has given to every believer. But to introduce the subject today, I want to talk about the King of Hearts. And uh, we're going to kick off with a scripture reading. We're going to look at a dilemma it's a universal dilemma. It's a moral, philosophical, and theological dilemma. We're going to address the elephant in the room, and then we're going to look at the biblical answer to resolve that dilemma. I'm going to give some analogies um, in terms of how the kingdom of God works. We're going to look at the Garden of Eden, God's original intention, and, uh, and then we're just going to get into some fantastic stuff when we look at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and faithfulness and all of that. It's going to be a very exciting presentation. Please, please, please get a notepad. Get Find a way uh, to take notes. And uh, of course, this message will remain on our platform for some time. So do visit it, revisit it, because we're going in deep. We're going in deep. Let's start with our scripture reading, Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Well, I think there's the plan of God uh, right there. The plan of God for, for humanity uh, for your life and for mine is somehow encoded in this simple passage. God's plan is that the king's heart would be in his hand. And we'll say it again. God's plan is that the king's heart would be in his hand. Somebody say amen. And what a wonderful world this would be if uh, every leader, if every king, if every person that had authority and responsibility um, 
their heart was in the hand of God and he could turn it whichever way he wanted to. Uh, if we lived in a world like that, I promise you the world would be a different place. It would be a beautiful place. Um, it would be pain-free. It would be fear-free. Uh, it would be just. There would be all of the provisions um, that we need. Uh, we would see an end to poverty. We would see an end to war. We would see an end to crime. If, in fact, the king's heart were in the hand of the Lord. And when I say the king, I don't want you to just limit this to some sort of geopolitical ruler. I want us to understand that actually, uh, you know, God has made us all to be kings and priests and that any person operating in leadership, any person that has delegated authority and responsibility, that person is biblically a king. And, um, and when the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, then and only then does the kingdom reflect the character of God. Then and only then does the kingdom reflect the character of God. When the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. I want to talk about the king of hearts today, but let's start with the elephant in the room, the great universal age-old moral, philosophical, and theological dilemma that you face, I face, anyone you've ever tried to speak to about God uh, faces this. The world at large is frustrated by this, and many are disillusioned, uh, because of this, and many have abandoned all faith in a supernatural uh, deity, uh, an intelligent uh, uh, deity, they have become atheists, all in the name of this particular elephant in the room. So watch this now. Here's the dilemma. If God is so good, then why is the world so bad? If God is so good, why is the world so bad? How is it that an almighty, uh, everywhere present, uh, knowing all things, loving, merciful, just, righteous, holy God, how can he permit uh, or allow evil to exist in the world, to persist and to prevail in the world? How does a good God allow people to starve to death um, in some of the continents of the world? How does a good God permit uh, disease to proliferate and ravish entire communities and societies? How does a good God allow um, corruption in government, oppression of citizens, genocides, um, all of the things that we've seen and witnessed throughout human history. How can a good God, who is almighty so he can do anything he wants to do, uh, ever present so he can see everything that's going on, and uh, omniscient, knows everything, so therefore he even knows what evil people are planning to do, how is it that he can allow evil to exist, persist, and prevail in the world? This is the age-old moral, philosophical, and theological dilemma that we face everywhere that perhaps you 
are negotiating a tension within yourself when you look at the current state of the world and its current trajectory. And you may be aware of, of immense suffering taking place in various parts of the world. And it just is conflicting. Like if God is so good, why is the world so bad? So what we're going to do in today's session, we're going to answer the question. We're going to answer it comprehensively. We're going to answer it theologically. And we're going to resolve the dilemma today. But I must warn you that in the resolution of this dilemma, uh, there is going to be the delegation of authority and responsibility to you and I. Okay, so in, in, in resolving this dilemma, uh, the spotlight is going to turn from God to you and me. Oh, hallelujah. Woo, glory to God. Because I think it's quite easy to just turn this spotlight on God and say, God, where are you? Where were you? But what we're going to do as we look at the biblical truth is turn that spotlight. And the question is now going to be, where are you? And where were you? And so if you dare, if you dare, then come with me into the arena of the word. So I'm going to start to answer this by making two very simple yet profound statements. Number one, heaven is God's domain. Number two, the earth is man's domain. Let's do that again. Heaven is God's domain. Earth is man's domain. And so uh, you remember the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us how to pray, and, and this is what he taught. He said, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in what? Heaven. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, hold on a second. Let's just let's just pause a little bit. Let's look at the implications of that prayer. The implication is that the will of God is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there are a lot of people, even Christians, some of you may be listening to me today, who just think everything that happens is the will of God. I mean, you know, if, 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 if someone gets run over, you know, ultimately, you know, it was God's will, God's plan, or if, if something bad happens, it's the will of God, or, you know, uh, you know, we, we kind of feel like, because we say to ourselves and we say to each other, God is in control. And God is in control typically means uh, to us that if something happens in the world, God has somehow planned this to maybe advance a bigger agenda. And so we get quite confused about the will of God and how much control God has. And then the dilemma kicks in when you think, well, if God's in control, then then, then how is a government committing a genocide against uh, uh, an ethnic uh, group? How in the world can God be control while uh, there's an abundance of food in the world. I mean, you, you could tell that by visiting a, a city and um, a city in, 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 the, in the developed world and, and looking at how much food is thrown away by restaurants at the end of any given night. You know that there's an abundance of food in the world and yet there are people starving to death 
uh, within within a plane ride uh, from from all of that waste. So if God's in control, how comes all of this this uh, wickedness is going on in the world? Well, you know, the prayer begins to begins to answer that. Our Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If the will of God were always being done in the world, Jesus wouldn't ask us to pray that the will of God will be done in the world. The truth is that the will of God is not being done in the world. When you see poverty, that is not the will of God. When you see disease, that is not the will of God. When you see corruption in government or in or at a corporate level, that is not the will of God. When you see crime, violence, theft, robbery, that is not the will of God. Drug addictions, that is not the will of God. The evil that we see and witness in society and around the world is not the will of God. And this is why Jesus says, you must pray that the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, it is being done in heaven because heaven is God's domain. His perfect will is done in heaven, but it is not being done on earth. And Jesus said, we are to pray that the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because the earth is man's domain. The world does not reflect the will or government of God. It reflects the will and government of man. When you see corruption in the world, wickedness, suffering, and evil, you are not seeing the will of God. You are seeing the will of man. Let's read this uh, in a few more scriptures here. Genesis 1 verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. Psalms 8 verses 4 to 6, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor Thou madest him, you made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So who's controlling the world? Who's in control when it comes to this realm, this domain, this this earth? Who's in control? Man is in control. How do we know this? Because God gave dominion to man. Let them have dominion. You made him to have dominion. You have put all things under his feet. God rules, hallelujah, and his perfect will is done in his domain. But his perfect will is not done in man's domain because this really is uh, fundamentally and legally uh, man's domain. Let me show you this in the Garden of Eden. This is really cool. Let me show you this in the Garden of Eden. So Genesis 2, I want you to watch this very carefully. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
So I want you to notice, because uh, that's verses 8 and 9, then we're going to read verse 15 in a moment. But I want you to notice that God did not create the Garden of Eden. God did not create the Garden of Eden. He planted a garden eastward in the region of Eden. So the garden was planted. This means that it emerged over a period of time. One more time, the garden was planted and it emerged over a period of time. Because out of the ground, the Lord made things to grow. He planted the garden. Now, the Garden of Eden was definitely a beautiful place. The question is, who made it beautiful? Who made it beautiful? Verse 15, And the Lord God took man and put him into the Garden of Eden, watch this, to dress it and to keep it. Wow! So it was man's responsibility to beautify the garden, and it was man's responsibility to sustain or to keep it beautiful. So Adam's job description was make it beautiful, keep it beautiful. Wow. Come on, somebody. Make it beautiful, keep it beautiful. Dress it and keep it. This was his assignment. This was his authority. This was his responsibility. What God did was plant it. So what God created was a field of potential. And out of this field of potential would grow the trees and all the vegetation. It would emerge over a period of time because of God's planting. However, the beauty of the, of the, uh, of the environment and the sustainability of the environment was now Adam's. So that the Garden of Eden uh, was a reflection of Adam's stewardship, his management, his leadership, his authority, his responsibility. It was no longer reflecting God because God had done his part in planting the garden. Man would now be in charge of what it would look like and how it would continue to look. Wow and wow. And and I think I think you you've gotten this piece. I think you've gotten this piece. I think you understand that if you buy a new home and you move into a new home and it's a brand new home and everything is already painted and decorated, perhaps it's fully furnished, um, you know, it, it's job done once you've bought it. Once you move in over a period of time, it's now gonna reflect you, your lifestyle, your values, your standards. It's now gonna begin to reflect you. And so I think you can see where we're going here today, but I want to drive it home with just a few uh, 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 analogies and metaphors, and, and I think these are very powerful. If you're still with me, shout amen. So here goes. Uh, God retains the freehold on planet Earth, but he has given to man a leasehold. That's right. God owns the world and everything in it, and he is not, you know, by delegating the responsibility and the dominion of the world to man, God did not relinquish his freehold. God is the freeholder of planet Earth. The Earth is the Lord's. He says, all souls are mine. So what does man have? Man has effectively a leasehold on planet Earth. And when it comes to a lease, I want you to remember two things. 
Number one, there is always a term on the lease. In other words, there's an expiry date. Okay, there's no eternal lease. There's no everlasting lease. There is a an expiry date on that lease. And what we call the end times, and when you read the book of Revelation, you start to see this end time scenario. All it is describing is the end of man's earth lease, the end or the expiration of the lease, because when the lease expires, the freeholder has the right, the authority to repossess property. And so what we're actually seeing, what we call the end times, is really God repossessing the property uh, because man's earth lease will have expired. And uh, that's a whole nother subject. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get into some end time stuff uh, eventually. But that's the first thing I want you to know about a lease. It has a time on it. So, uh, so let me just announce in the spirit uh, to 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 all the governments of the world and to all of the leaders of the world and to every single person that has authority and responsibility in the world that is mismanaging um, the opportunity and the privilege that actually uh, you know there is an expiration date. There is an expiration date, and then the second thing I want you to notice is that every lease comes with terms and conditions. And one of the terms, uh, one of the terms, and, and rights and privileges, okay? So one of the terms uh, and one of the, the rights that a leaseholder can expect is the right to privacy, okay? The right to privacy. So what that basically means is that, you know, if you lease a property, um, you know, you're not supposed to come home one day and find the landlord sitting on the couch uh, drinking a beverage uh, talking about, yeah, I was waiting for you to come back, uh, okay? That, in this country, is illegal, and under the terms of any good lease, it's illegal. Why? Because the freeholder cannot, cannot enter the property without the invitation, permission, or instigation of the leaseholder. I'm going to say it one more time. The freeholder cannot legally enter the property without the invitation, instigation, or permission of the leaseholder. Wow. What's that telling us? It's telling us that God himself will not intervene in human affairs. God will not intervene in human affairs. And and, and I'm going to venture to say God cannot intervene in human affairs. And when I say God cannot, I'm not saying that you know God has limits or that God is not all-powerful. I'm simply saying that God cannot lie. He is the truth, he cannot lie. So because he cannot lie, then he cannot and will not intervene in human affairs without the instigation, invitation, or permission of a human being. Woo! Somebody need to scream. God will not intervene in human affairs without the instigation, invitation, or permission of a human being. Let's read this. Man must instigate a divine intervention through prayer. Did you notice Jesus said, when you pray, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are you doing? You are inviting the intervention of God through prayer inviting the intervention of God through prayer, instigating a divine intervention 
through prayer. God will not intervene unless someone, a human being, instigates it. Why? Because the earth is man's domain. God has given us a leasehold. While he retains the freehold, he cannot just walk in um, uninvited. A human being must instigate the intervention of God. Uh, let's read the second part. God will stand at the door and knock till someone invites him in. Notice, God will never kick down the door and burst into your world. No, no, no. He'll stand outside. He can hear what's going on inside. He can even see what's going on inside. He feels for what's going on inside. But without an open door, without an intervention, without an invitation, he cannot intervene. So Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice I and open the door, I will come in. So, so this, is a, this is another mystery, all right? The preaching of the gospel is the knocking of God at the door of humanity. Right now, as you listen to this word, God is knocking on your door. And he's knocking on the door, but he will not burst into your life. You must hear the knock, open the door, and invite God in. Without a human being inviting God into the circumstance, he has no legitimacy. Um, he does not have the, the authority or the right to enter human affairs without a human into, uh, invitation or instigation. And he will not because that's the, you know, he is the Supreme Court of the universe. These are his laws and he's going to operate by his system. And so number three, permission. No spiritual entity has legitimacy on planet Earth without the cooperation of a human being. What do we mean by this? We mean that 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 a human being, because this is our domain, a human being must invite a spiritual entity that belongs to another realm into the realm for that entity to have legitimacy within the affairs of humanity. This is true of both God and the devil, angels and demons. In other words, even a demonic spirit cannot operate in this realm without a human being uh, inviting that, instigating that, permitting that. And that's why witchcraft is such an abomination, because witchcraft is an invitation or a legitimization of demonic activity in the earth. And this is likewise why prayer and praise and worship are so encouraged in the scriptures, because by prayer and by praise and by worship and by your declaration and your decrees, you are legitimizing the intervention of God. You are instigating the intervention of God. You are inviting the, in, the intervention of God. I'm going to kind of close this section out with this. That actually, actually, even when it comes to the saving of our souls, the, the, the gift of salvation, God could not save us without the agency of a human being.
Okay, it took a human. There had to be a human being involved, instigating, inviting, and permitting the intervention of God in the salvation of our souls. And God searched for a man, but He couldn't find one qualified. Okay, Hallelujah. So He became a man. God became a man through the incarnation. The Word was made flesh, uh, so so as to legitimize. God's intervention into human affairs. Christ then became the instigation, the invitation, and the permission for God to come into the world with his amazing grace, which is why we are saved by his grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you one more uh, metaphor um, because I'm we're going we're still going deep, woo hallelujah! Uh, the manufacturer versus the manager. Okay, so you know if uh, you know when when a, when when uh, a car leaves the factory, it leaves the factory in mint condition. Once it's in the custody of a new owner, it will begin to reflect its management. So you know the world that God made was brilliant absolutely brilliant. The world we see today is the world under the stewardship, the management of mankind. Humanity has made the world the way that it is. And whatever evil you see going on in the world, there are there is bad leadership behind it. There is bad stewardship involved. There is there is abuse of power involved. There is, um, you know, there is immaturity with authority involved. And so whether that's in, in, uh, in hunger, starvation, uh, even the proliferation of disease, Lord help me now, it's a whole nother subject, uh, uh, criminality and corruption at governmental levels, at corporate levels, um, at, at, at financial levels, and the disintegration of societies, what, what, you know, crime, the, the black markets of the world, all of it, all of it is reflecting human uh, activity, human beings, um, abusing power and mismanaging the great opportunity that the world actually is. So when you look at the vehicle scratched up, interior deteriorated, and marks here, and and the the beautiful smell of a new car gone, uh, and replaced with the smell of food. Don't go to the manufacturer and start complaining about what kind of a car is this you have made? What kind of a vehicle is this? No, no, no. Go straight to the manager, uh, the owner of the vehicle, and then you can direct your grievance to the owner of the vehicle because the manufacturer made it perfect. Woo! Hallelujah! All right, you're going to give me a little bit more time here because we're, we're still going in. God's original intention, okay? God's original intention is that the earth would be a colony of heaven. A colony of heaven. The earth, God's original plan is that this world would be an extension of heaven, a colony of heaven. 
that is ruled by people who are ruled by God. One more time, God's original intention is that the earth would be a colony of heaven ruled by people who are ruled by God. And I think we all know what a colony uh, looks like, okay? So it's it's another territory that has all the characteristics, the laws and and systems of another territory. It it's it's a it's a it's another territory and, and you know a lot of us know because some of us are from uh uh countries that were once uh colonies of of a European power. And when you go to those countries, you can still see uh, from the streets, the architecture, the buildings, the laws, the systems, they're all reflecting the, the culture and the values of the colonizer. Okay, so God's plan was that the earth would be a colony of heaven. It would be an extension of heaven that actually earth would look like heaven, sound like heaven, feel like heaven. Uh, earth would, would have the aroma of heaven. The, the, the systems of heaven would be in the earth. And to secure that, he puts it under the rule of people who are under his rule. Okay, so it, the earth should be governed, led, managed by people who are governed, led, managed by God. Wow and wow. The earth should be ruled by people who are ruled by God. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. So this is why Jesus is the king of kings. He's the king of kings, not king of the world. He doesn't want to be king of the world. He wants you to be king of your world. Ooh, he makes you a king. God does not want a physical kingdom in the world. He wants you to be a king while he remains your king. See, <laughs> come on, somebody, help me praise the Lord here today. God does not want to exercise direct rule on planet Earth. He wants to be in charge of your heart, and then he wants you to be in charge of your world. That is why he's the Lord of Lords. He's not Lord of the world. God does not want to be the landlord of the world. He wants to be the Lord of the landlords. Somebody help me preach. He wants to be the Lord of lords. In other words, he wants you to be a king in your kingdom, which is the king's domain, in your sphere, in your realm, which could be uh, professional and personal, um, whatever, whatever, wherever you lead, wherever you have authority, wherever you have responsibility, that metaphorically is your kingdom. And God wants you to, to run that, just like he says, Adam, I planted this garden, but I don't want to run the garden. I don't want to control. I don't want to shape the garden. I want you to shape the garden. I want you to dress it. I I want you to keep it. God does not want to directly rule in human affairs. He wants us to be kings. He wants us to be lords, but he wants to be the king of our hearts. He wants to be the Lord of the lords. Woo, somebody help me preach. God wants you, child of God. What am I saying to you? I'm saying that God wants you. He doesn't want the silver and the gold. He doesn't want the houses and the land. He's given that to you. He doesn't want the trees and, the, and the, the mountains and the valleys and the wonders of nature. He made all that for you. Uh, God does not want any of But what God wants is you. You can have the world. God gave Adam everything, everything, but he kept Adam for himself.
And therein is a fundamental secret and the truth and the mystery behind the power of your stewardship. It is this, that you can have anything and everything so long as God can have you. If God has you, he'll give you anything else that you can desire. If God has your heart in his hand, then he has no problem giving you houses and land, silver and gold, the cattle on a thousand hills. He'll give it to you because he made all that for you, but he made you for himself. He doesn't have a problem with a Christian, uh, with a Christian who is prosperous, who is rich, who is abundant, who is overflowing, who is influential, who is powerful. He has no problem with you having it all. He has a problem with any of it having you because you are exclusively his. Oh my, I'm getting so excited because now we're going to drop uh, some spiritual bombs as we start to close. If God wants something in the world, he will give it to you. Woo! Help me now. Somebody help me scream up in here. If God wants anything in this world, he will give it to you. He's not going to take it himself. God's not going to pick up any machines or pick up anything. He's not going to, God's not going to the bank. No, no, no. If God wants something in this world, he will give it to you. Now, there's a caveat here. When I say you, I mean you whose heart is in his hand. He will give it to the people that he can trust because their heart is in his hand. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. If God wants something in the world, he'll get it to you. If God wants influence in the world, he'll give you influence because your influence will be his influence. Your influence is God's influence in the world when he is the king of your heart. Money, your resources and financial capacity is at God's disposal when he is the king of your heart. In other words, if God wants money, uh, if God wants money in the world, and some say, well, why would God want money? Well, he'd want money because he's listening to the prayers of people who are starving, who are lacking resources in various parts of the world, and he wants to get money to them. Okay, he wants to he wants to get investment into their economic uh, uh, infrastructure, and he's listening to their prayer. So now he wants money. Well, God's not going to reach his supernatural hand down and pick up a bag of money from the bank and then go drop it on this person who's been praying this prayer. No, if God wants money, he's going to give it to you, and he'll give it to someone whose heart is in his hand. Because when God's heart, when, when, when your heart is in God's hand, then your money is at his disposal because he can just tell you, listen, I want you to take 10% of that 
and give it over here. And you'll say, well, it'd be my pleasure, Father. Is that all? You just want 10%? Yep, I want you to take 10% of it and put it over here. When your heart is in God's hand, he can say to you, okay, uh, you're about to make a ton of money. I'm about to bless you with a ton of money. And, uh, and when you make it, I want you to give 30% of it over here. Or I want you to invest 20% of it in that. And you'll say, Father, is that all? Uh, it, it's my pleasure to do so because my heart is in your hand. Because actually, this is not mine. This is yours. And you want, you, you've trusted me. You've trusted me to be the person uh, who can actually execute on your plan. And, and I'm grateful. And then you do it with cheer. And God loves the what? The cheerful giver. If God wants dominion in the world, and what I mean by that is leadership and authority, then what God is going to do is he's going to give you dominion. He'll give you authority. He'll give you the leadership. Because if you're ruling, if you're in charge, God's in charge when he is the king of your heart. So the question is, does God have your heart? Does God have your heart? Because that's all he wants. Believe it or not, he doesn't want anything else that you have. He actually wants you to have everything else that you have. All he wants is your heart. Because every now and again, he's going to give you an instruction. Every now and again, he's going to give you a direction. Every now and again, he's going to tell you what to do. And all he wants is your heart. And when I say every now and again, I literally mean every now and again. I mean, God wants you to enjoy the world and have everything that's in it. But every now and again, there will be an instruction. And that's what we saw in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Adam, this whole garden is yours. But there's one thing over here that I don't want you to touch. It's one thing. Yeah, just one thing. There's so much here, but there's one thing. And what you're going to find is that there's always the one thing that is that is answering the question, does God have your heart? Because your heart represents your trust, your affection, and your obedience. You know, God has your heart when you trust God. God has your heart when you love God. God has your heart when you are ready to obey an instruction from God. My word. You know that I could have gone on forever, but I'm not going to go on forever. I'm going to start to close, and I close with this. Come home. Come home. You belong. You belong in a community, a family, a tribe. You belong uh, with a people who understand the power of their stewardship. That God has given authority and responsibility to every believer to have dominion over the work of his hands. And our great challenge right now, our great calling is to instigate, in, uh, invite, and permit divine interventions into this world. See, God's looking for a people that he can trust with influence. He's looking for a people he can trust with money. He's looking for a people he can trust with power. And that's why we're doing the stewardship series. I want you to come home. I want you to register your decision for Christ at our website. I want you to send any prayer requests you have. You can do it on our website or you can call our office. 
And right now I pray for you. Father, I thank you for every person under the hearing of this word and pray in the mighty name of Jesus that this series on stewardship will become a turning point in our own spiritual maturation, that we will experience new heights of spiritual authority, maturity, and responsibility as you begin to put things in our hands, as you begin to deliver to us influence and resources and authority and power, as you begin to make us the head and not the tail and set us above only and not beneath and position us on purpose. Father, we are grateful and we pray the blessing of the Lord upon every person under the hearing of this word in Jesus Christ's name. And all the saints that love Jesus said, Amen and Amen. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, This is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.